every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. and welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. Uh, my name is Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, and back with me again this time, uh, I think the last time you joined me we were talking about, um, oh my gosh, what was it? Uh, uh, Into the Woods. Uh, was it, and you were made yeah. to, lo- or I was made to love you, or? Yes, I believe we we bid goodbye to Riley, and now he's back. Oh so- yes, perfect, perfect timing. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Jessica, Jessica Houch, a PhD student at Stony Brook University, who I've learned has just submitted her prospectus. So that's awesome news. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, what uh, what what is that process like, and what exactly what is your PhD going to be in? Um, so I am with the English department, um, although I kind of snuck my way into there um, because my interest in my perspectives and what will eventually hopefully be my dissertation um, is bringing together uh, reader response theory, rhetorical theory, cognitive sciences, and then also performance studies and uh, fan studies. So I'm looking at the reading and writing and communal practices of uh, fandom through this lens of uh, the cognitive sciences. Um, so the like the title, or the provisional title of my perspectives. I'm sure the title of the project will change um, probably about 23 times. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is thinking through fandom, mind, body, and feelings in the reception and creation practices of fan communities. Wow. So. Wow. I, uh, I had this idea to make this podcast uh, about me, a lowly fan who has uh, like no higher education in these fields, uh, joined by scholars and super smart people. And I just continue to feel out of my depth. The more more I talk to like, uh, that's that. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, so far it's just a prospectus. So uh, I wouldn't be too impressed at this point. Well, I, I am impressed. It, it's it'll it'll work. You're gonna get it. I'm I'm hoping. But fingers uh, crossed. So yeah, it's been a while. I think August of last year maybe is the last time that I had you on here. And the world has changed. We're in we're in the uh, the liminal state between the old world and whatever the new world is going to turn out to be. So. How, how yeah. have you been and how are you surviving the apocalypse? Um, well, um, I, I mean, I wish Buffy were here. I would feel a lot <laughs> better about everything. Yeah. Um, at least she has some experience. 
uh, you know, just trying to just trying to survive, just trying to get through the day to day. The I'm teaching at Stony Brook and also at a local community college. Uh, so my classes just restarted this week. Um, so that's actually been good. That's given me more of a sense of normalcy. Uh, and kind of just knowing that my students are okay mm-hmm. is also uh, is also good. Um, but as we were talking about before, I'm in New York, although not in the city, so it's it's scary, scary out there. Um, and how are, are you hanging in there? I mean, uh, am I hanging in there? I'm not sure. I guess that was a better question. <laughs> I, I I can't really tell. It's it's overwhelming. It, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm struggling with being overwhelmed at times. Um, I am a retired zookeeper, so I don't have that to worry about. I don't have to. Were I still a zookeeper, um, that is not a job that you can do from home. I would have to be uh, going into work every day. But I do at least have the luxury of not having a day job that I have to go get out to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just the new. I I've radically reduced the amount of like news that I take in on a daily basis because it's just too much. <laughs> like it, it used to be that there was one fresh new hell opened up for us every day. Like you'd wake up in the morning and check social media and there was one new horror show. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's like a new horror show every hour basically. And so, yeah, I've also had to take a step last week. I cried almost every day. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I think is normal and healthy, but I, that was also kind of a wake-up call that I need to maybe step back from Twitter and from the news and from obsessively checking updates on, you know, how the, the infection and the virus and how it's spreading. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, well, that said, I personally do not have any symptoms. My wife is also – so my wife and I are trapped here in the house with our cat who uh, – is not happy (laughs) like uh our cat ember only ever wants attention but now that we are both home 24 7 i think she's fed up with it so okay yeah um my so my partner owns a restaurant um so Uh he is at work um and so that's a little bit scary for us uh my cats are on the contrary are, are loving this they love having uh mother home with them yeah (laughs) <laughs> all the time yeah they are constantly sleeping on top of me so at least i have that well you're in new york which is scary i'm in <laughs> i'm in uh birmingham alabama sadly which is scary for its own reasons um at, at least new york is ha- has come to the place where they're taking this whole thing seriously now yeah, um, so I live out on Long Island, uh, so we're not in the city. Um, and I think because things, you know, it's suburbia, so things are spread out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think some people still need to take it a little bit more seriously than they are. Uh, like my grandmother, uh-huh. who's still going out to the store, um, despite what we've all told her. <laughs> um, but I, that's also just how my grandmother is, so... <laughs> yeah, my my in-laws are the same way. They uh, they go out to Ford. They run errands every day, every single day. They go out to go to the store for something, or go to the the go to get stuff to work in the yard. They love working in their yard, so they're constantly going to like nurseries and stuff. I don't know. I'm just like 
we try to tell them this is not social distancing guys but Right. Well, my grandmother met up with three of her friends to play Marjan because <laughs> okay. God forbid she missed Marjan. Uh, and she, she was like, well, we were so- social distancing. I was like, that's not what social distancing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, first of all, there's no way you were six feet apart. And second of all, you're only supposed to be six feet apart from people when you have to be in the same area. Right. That's, right. That's also just how Doris is. So. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it's it's a it's an apocalypse. So we should talk about Buffy. And um, I can't believe I hadn't even uh, keyed in on this a little while ago. You made a comment off mic. You made a comment that um, the first episode we're going to talk about tonight is appropriate for a world that's obsessed with social distancing right now. Hadn't even dawned on me until you said that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me give the spoiler warning and then we can get right into these and see what we can make out of the the meal we've set for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, if this is your first time tuning in, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and a bunch of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause on the podcast, go do that. Uh, and you can come back and find us when you're ready with that taken care of Jessica, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's go to work. All right. So the, the bounty that we have for ourselves today, <laughs> we're discussing three episodes. We are discussing six fourteen, older and far away, uh, which is the social distancing episode of Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, six mm-hmm. as you were, and 616 Hell's Bells. So those, yeah, that's what we've got. <laughs> right. We're, we're kind of in, in what I see as the dregs of season six. Yeah. Uh, so. All right. Well, <laughs> let, let's start off with Older and Far Away. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you start. What are your immediate thoughts on this episode? Um, so I think... You know, first of all, this is, lar- as we've alluded, it's largely a bottle episode. Um, mm-hmm. So only the first eight minutes take place outside of the house. Um, the rest of the the episode is kind of stuck in this kind of claustrophobic um, space of, of Buffy's house. And I do think that they make um, good use of, of the space, of the layout of the house, um, which is something that because we've been there for the past uh you know six seasons we're pretty well aware of the geography of the house and i think the episode does a nice job with that yeah um what do you think okay so yeah the premise is that uh the scooby gang all (laughs) get stuck in the summer's home again Mm -hmm. i feel like this happened before but uh i I love spike's line about uh so you ever think about not celebrating your birthday um it's actually pretty easy to forget that this is a, a Buffy birthday episode because even though the party that they're having at the house is a birthday party, I, it just, it, that's almost incidental. Like no one sings happy birthday. I, I don't know. It, this, this didn't need to be a Buffy birthday episode in my opinion, but. I think one of um, the things that the birthday element adds is some of the escalation that we get with Dawn um, in the gift exchange scene where she gives Buffy the uh, the leather jacket that she had shoplifted 
Uh, and then Buffy's attention is immediately diverted to that weapons chest. Right. Uh, so I think we see, you know, part of the escalation of Dawn's kind of emotional breakdown uh, in the episode. But I agree. Other than that, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel like a super birthday-y uh, type party. You know, uh, I often talk about the the spinoff series that we could have got uh, mm-hmm. out of Buffy and uh I don't know if I've ever suggested that Dawn needed a spinoff, but uh, the, I'm fascinated by how how everything that we've seen, in fact, in this episode, when her shoplifting is revealed, uh, it's by opening a little box with all kinds of just little trinkets, rings and bracelets mm-hmm. and stuff. But she somehow walked out of a store wearing a leather jacket with the security device still on it. So I'm, <laughs> I want to see the show about, uh, you know, cat burglar... <laughs> Dawn Summers and how she gets away with some of that stuff. But Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, anyway, Just petty theft. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it's because she's the key. I don't know. Probably. It's the, yeah, it's the magical energy. It, um, it neutralizes right. the, yeah, right. the shoplifting protecting devices. So. Um, all right. Well, so Dawn is one of the things <laughs> I'm, I'm going to work to have things to say about these episodes. And Dawn is one of the things in this one that I, I feel like I've got something to say. And it's really just mm-hmm. going to be me reiterating my, my sort of frustration with how the show just simply refuses to pick a lane as far as Dawn's maturity level. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this is not a thing that bothers you, or if you have strong feelings one way or the other about this, feel free to, to throw them out at me. But like, it, it frustrates me that we go from one episode where Dawn is, seems pretty mature and together. And then the next episode episode, she's back to doing her get out, get out, get out thing. Um, well, I, so I'm, I'm prepared to mount a pretty firm defense of, of Dawn. Okay, good. Uh, in this episode, I actually have uh, a tremendous amount of sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I can explain her, her, her behavior, her actions, some of her, uh, vacillations by thinking about kind of the, the grief and trauma mm-hmm. that she's been through. Um, so part of my notes is kind of detailing, um, kind of everything that Dawn has lost over the course of the series. Um, and especially just within the past year or the past season, um, you know, so first we have the divorce. Uh, and so her father is not really a part of her life. Uh, something that becomes, uh, very clear after her mother dies and, uh, he doesn't even show up for the funeral. Um, so she doesn't have that father figure. Um, then she loses her kind of surrogate father figure when Giles goes back to London. Uh, she's lost her mother. Uh, her, she has these three um, kind of, you know, surrogate um, found family parental figures. So one Buffy also died. Uh, and now that she's back, she's suffering from her own, you know, mental health problems. Um, and then between that and Buffy's slang duties, her work at the Double Meat Palace, and the ongoing sexual relationship with Spike, 
uh, it seems like she doesn't have much time for um, for Dawn. And then in Dead Things, the previous episode, Buffy also just like told Dawn that she was going to go to jail, right? Yeah. Um, so then the other parental figure, Willow, it w- went through a bout of you know magic addiction, um, and is now a recovering addict. So that's another form of abandonment. And then possibly the kind of most stable and nurturing parental figure that she's had, Tara, you know, left because of the breakup between her and Willow. Yeah. Um, on top of that, uh, in the next episode, as you were, it also suggests that she felt somewhat abandoned by Riley because of the way that she left. That's a ton of stuff uh, for a teenager to have to deal with. That's a lot of trauma, a lot of grief. Um, a lot of loss. And so I think that her feelings of uh, abandonment are pretty well justified. Um, And does she always handle it in the best, most mature way? No, but she's supposed to be what? 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so she's 15, right? (laughs) Um, So I think I'm inclined to cut her a break. Well, I, I'm sure you're aware. I'm sure my listeners are aware. I'm I'm a Dawn apologist mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm a Dawn supporter. So just to clarify, I'm not uh, I'm not annoyed by the fact that Dawn is having this issue in this episode. I agree with you. Everything you just said is absolutely <laughs> makes total sense. Uh, it's just a thing about season six that consistently bothers me is the meta the meta text or whatever the the messages I feel like I'm being handed by the creators behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, and the inconsistent portrayal of Dawn is one of those things. It just feels like there are different camps in the writer's room and, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying. I'm sure there's way more to it than this, but season six in particular to me feels like there are camps within the writer's room. And on one side, you've got uh, writers that, that have sympathy with Dawn or whatever, and want to sort of mature the character and let her move and grow and other care and other writers that think that she is just the, she's meant to be the annoying little sister and she can never actually act her age. Um, same thing with Spike. I, I, that stuff really irritates me, and I feel like I notice it in season six more than anywhere else. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm coming at, uh, coming from with this mm-hmm. Dawn thing. Not that I disliked her character or or what she's going through. It's just they. I think I even stuck up for her her first get out, get out, get out. Because when she says it in this, it's a callback to, and I can't remember sure. what episode it was, but. It was blood ties. It was the birthday episode last year. Okay. <laughs> All <Bye>. right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that whole get out, get out, get out is something that, that Dawn haters throw out all the time is that's just super annoying. I can't stand Dawn. She had that get out, get out, get out thing, whatever. And I think I even stuck up for it then where I, I found that moment believable. And I actually, it was emotional to see the way Michelle Trachtenberg, Trachtenberg portrayed it. Um, but I just felt like it was brought back here. Uh, I I don't know. It didn't work as well for me here because I felt like I felt the meta of it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but it, it's just one of the things that I struggle with in season six because I feel like the 
the story is there. I just don't feel like it's being told well on screen. Sure. No, that's fair. And I might be doing um, like a lot of work for the show um, in order to head Candon uh -huh. into her making sense. Um, but yeah, I think it does. It, it works well enough for me just, you know, thinking about the compounded trauma that she's been through. Yeah. Um, I also think that the visual um, language of the episode does a nice job of telling that story as well. Um, for instance? So there are, I was kind of, as I was watching it, I was paying attention to the shot composition and just how often um, other characters will be configured together and then Dawn is shown in isolation. Um, so we get that, like when she goes to the magic box to see if anyone wants to go to the mall with her. And there are a couple of kind of shots from behind Dawn that have her in it. But for the most part, you see Xander, Anya, and Willow kind of tightly configured together. They're in each other's shots. They're overlapping. Um, whereas Dawn is isolated. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a similar framing uh, in the part that I mentioned earlier when Xander and Anya give Buffy the chest and she goes over to to go look at it and so they're all kind of together in a shot and Dawn is left sitting on the couch al alone um, and there's a lot of use of wide shots to emphasize the the space around her uh, that's cool I don't think uh, I don't think I had noticed or 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 recognize the use of wide shots in this which is an interesting choice when you're doing a an episode that's meant to be claustrophobic and like stuck in mm -hmm. indoors huh yeah no you would think that there would and there are plenty of you know close-ups it's mixed but a lot of times when it's on dawn um we're getting either a wide shot or a medium shot mm -hmm. and i think it again it's just to emphasize the emptiness the space around her as she's feeling abandoned um, is there anything else that you thought really worked in this episode or didn't? Um, well, I think it's James Merster's, uh, eyebrow acting was phenomenal. <laughs> yes. I specifically made note there. I think there were twi two times where he really did the, the <laughs> raised eyebrow to good effect. But the one, of course, that I took the note on was the getting the massager for instant gratification. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spike's eyebrow to that spoke volumes. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, we can talk a, a little bit about Buffy and um, Spike in this episode, uh, especially coming off of uh, Dead Things, which is always, for me, at least a hard episode to watch because it's really Buffy um, at her, her kind of lowest, lowest point. And I know we've, talked about it on here i realize that it's not a healthy relationship but i still am a spuffy yes buffy shipper yeah. um so i do i mean i uh it's hard to watch dead things um just like it'll be hard to watch seeing red as you get closer to that yeah uh, not, not looking forward to that <laughs> but uh you know kind of thinking about where their relationship is and um how they're trying to navigate it and how you know Buffy in this tight claustrophobic space you know um how Buffy is is trying to to keep it a secret from everyone except for for Tara mm -hmm. already knows um and I thought 
Tara's language, um, and I'm not sure exactly what I make about this, but when she's, you know, Buffy refers to not telling her friends about Spike as not being, you know, out yet. Yeah. They're using this kind of this language of the closet, which is um, interesting given that she's talking to a openly queer character on the show. Yeah, I've, I felt like that was very, very deliberate, but then it didn't, uh, it, it didn't land or whatever. Like I, I didn't re- I didn't, I couldn't figure out what the point of it was. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, like I said, I, like I said, I don't know that I have more um, to say about it, but yeah, I liked, uh, I liked Tara's, uh, I guess gentle ribbing of Spike through the entire episode. Oh, I like sassy Tara. Yeah, we got more sassy Tara. I know that was that was a, that was fun to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Spike, for once, didn't know how to like Spike didn't know how to deal with that. Usually, right. when people are snarky with him, he could be snarky right back, but he was not expecting that from Tara. Well, I think because Tara is usually so just a warm, comforting character, mm-hmm. um, she doesn't usually get to have an edge to her. Yeah, very much. Um, but I, that might be also part of why Spark, Spike was so uh, disarmed by by her. Yeah. Um. So I'm always on the lookout for uh, moments that I think prove <laughs> our, our proof of concept that Spike is genuinely a good character. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and in this episode, the one that really stood out to me was um, when Anya really, really started haranguing Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike was one of the first ones to like, he's, I don't remember what he said, but he was like, something like, hey, now, like he actually stepped in front of, I mean, Tara obviously took over, but right. Spike stepped forward and was like hey now or hold on or whatever started Mm -hmm. to come to willow's defense and um i don't know it's those unfiltered moments that don't you know that don't have any sort of ulterior motive to them that's the stuff that i hang on to yeah and i think we'll get some more of those um in hell's bells for for sure yeah 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 uh what did you make of anya in this episode um (laughs) I I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of her in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I I'm on board with that for most of it. Um, she is infuriating. The way that she talks to Don yeah. is incredibly frustrating. Um, I did think it was funny that she was winning Monopoly because of course she is. She's a capitalist demon. Um, and but like she's pretty awful to Willow, and I wasn't sure that I was buying her whole kind of claustrophobic freakout that she was having. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't think it was any fault of Emma Coulson's acting. I think she did the best that she could with it. I think it was more um, just it seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember the scene when Xander was comforting her and saying, yeah. you know, it, it's okay, yeah. you're just scared. We're, we're all scared. And I yeah. remember thinking, this is, of all the things that you guys have gone through as the Scooby right. gang on the Hellmouth, this is not that scary. No. <laughs> I don't understand why you're having such a strong reaction to this. 
no. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, again, why she might be, but yeah, it was not like it was bunnies. Um, right. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. So I think because I had a hard time with that scene, um, I, then when she's like really pushing Willow to do magic, that didn't work for me because I wasn't buying her previous freak out. Yeah. Um, but I did like that that moment gave Tara kind of another another great moment. Like this is a good episode for Tara, yeah. um, where she again kind of got to be strong and stand up to to Anya and protect Willow. Um, what did really work for me in terms of Anya was her reaction to finding out that Don had been stealing from her. Yeah, she seemed genuinely hurt. Yes, um, hurt and betrayed. Uh, and, you know, like she says to Don, I worked hard at that store I t- and I took care of you. Um, and so that moment with Anya, like I said, really, really worked for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one reason why some of this stuff fell flat for me uh, is that often none of the characters in the background are having a reaction. Like you, you, you mentioned when um, Anya really sort of attacked Dawn, or like the way she was talking to Dawn at a mm-hmm. certain point, she was being, she was really being aggressive and, and, um, and she even like Anya even kind of went after her, not attacked her, but like forcefully followed her into the next room and Buffy and Xander, mostly Buffy, uh, just watched like seemed shocked by all of this but buffy never stepped in to say hang on hang on don't talk right. to my sister that way or whatever they mm-hmm. really just let it happen and that it, a lot of times it felt like the character the other characters in the scene weren't participating in the dialogue that was happening right yeah i get i get what you're saying with that um, um for sure i mean do we want to talk about richard I mean, we can. What is there to talk about other than he was a red shirt? He was a, he was very clearly uh, visually red. Shirt. He also so I real I think um, visually the actor that they cast for that role worked well. He looks like the kind of douchebag that Buffy usually goes for. <laughs> yeah, he's a real he's a real Owen type. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, oh, Owen. Hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, he, I mean, he was obviously very boring i felt like all of the the ancillary characters that were brought in um except for clem except for clem i absolutely we have to talk about james c leary as clem because he is just precious to me but uh like uh, sophie was it sophie the friend from work and um spike didn't bring no this is he he was still with buffy at this point anyways uh so i guess it was just richard and sophie they felt kind of i mean we get a couple of funny background scenes when sophie is uh dancing with clem yeah at one point i I ship them so sophie and clem yeah that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) uh that just became headcanon for me thank you yeah i think they have a wonderful relation he's such a sweetheart yeah Um, so yeah that's my head my headcanon (laughs) okay all right um yeah i don't know i guess it just felt like there was there wasn't really much reason for them to be there um i mean obviously richard was 
was set dressing. Like he literally was a red shirt. He was only there so he could get stabbed. Right. Although I think if um, if he hadn't been there, say it had been Xander who had gotten stabbed. Mm-hmm. Right. Now the stakes are raised because it's a character that we actually care about. Yeah. Xander isn't necessary for resolving the plot. And that so and that. And that would have given Anya a reason to be so like over the top and pushing Willow. Yep. So I think it that would have worked better. Oh man. Uh, because if you're trying to create a kind of love triangle, Richard doesn't. Richard isn't a consideration for Buffy ever. Right. Uh, so you do get to see Spike be jealous, but and you know and, and be kind of playfully threatening. I guess. Uh, but it doesn't, I don't think anyone ever thought, Oh, Buffy is going to leave Spike for Richard. Right. So. Also, uh, of Richard getting stabbed, shouldn't the Scoobies be better at first aid at this point? You'd think, or, or at the very least they could have considered the possibility of, well, we can't leave the house, but who says we can't call an ambulance. Right. Right. Uh, you would think that I was like that they they must get hurt often uh, <laughs> in their line of work. You would some of you would think that at least one of them would have done some like street medic first aid training. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, the plot devices. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Speaking of plot device, uh, the, this is the episode. Where do you stand on the whole uh, Cecily is Halfrick debate? Oh, I think it's canon. It is. You think it's canon? I do. Yeah. Uh, like you think it's officially been recognized by the series? Yeah, I think in this episode. Okay, because my understanding was that that was just a funny one-off joke, and that they never I, the Cecily Halfrick thing felt like an another one of the inconsistencies of the show. Like some writers treat it as if that's fact and other writers don't, I don't, I, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but my read on it was I, tr- I personally take it as Canon. I feel mm-hmm. like that scene for me set it up as well. That's, that's the, that's the truth of it right there. Um, but I, don't, I felt like this was a larger debate. I felt like there are people that, that argue back and forth about whether or not this is really true. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I mean, yeah. Well said. <laughs> I agree. Well, I mean, so in the show, Halfrick looks at Spike, says William. Uh-huh. And then Spike says, wait a minute. Uh-huh. That seems like that's, I don't know how much more confirmation uh, you would need. I mean, I agree. I, I personally take that as confirmation. I just feel like playing devil's advocate. I feel like there are people that would say, because the show didn't, because they didn't spell it out because it was left vague, ambiguous and open-ended. People don't want to believe, you know, I don't know. It's, oh. I, I thought this was more of an issue than maybe apparently it is, but you're not going to get any pushback for me. Oh, I, oh. For me, that's the text clearly saying these two characters know each other. They're not advertising. Yeah. They know each other, but yeah. All right. Well, no, no controversy there then. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the only, I'm looking through my my notes. The only other thing I wanted to mention is uh, there was a 
lovely little scene of Clem and Don watching cartoons together yeah. in the morning. Clem so is, he's such a cinnamon roll. <laughs> love him. Oh. Too good, too pure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um what other notes did I have? I, I just had a note. I mean, so it's we have kind of two demons, I guess, in this episode. Mm-hmm. So we have um Helfric. And then we have the demon in the walls, which I thought was a good, I mean, he's relatively um, unremarkable. He doesn't have a real personality, but uh, does, I think, having the demons in the walls is a good metaphor for claustrophobia. Yeah, no, I did like that. Um, Some... Someone somewhere referred to him as a teleporting demon. Um, And so when I was rewatching the episode, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's really what's happening here i feel like he's he's uh like phasing into the walls and sinking into the floor and that would explain how he you know gets sucked into the sword or whatever right he turns into that goop yeah yeah um yeah i think he was he was just a plot device uh in terms of you know as a demon but i thought he looked cool he did yeah and his sword was cool yeah um so and i think I always like it when it's our character's mistakes that cause uh, uh-huh. like a demon attack. So Buffy kind of bringing the sword in them trying to, you know, casting magic and the magic having these um, unintended consequences. I always kind of like that. So, yeah. I feel, so let me ask you if you think that was, so in the cold open when she's fighting that demon and she, she, uh, and it gets sucked into the sword. She doesn't see that happen initially. And right. they, there's a voiceover and I feel like this was dubbed later because it's very clearly, it very clearly was not meant to be a shot where she was saying a line. It's the back of her head as she's getting up. Mm-hmm. But the, the line they have her say is, Oh, running off, huh? Too much yeah. of a cow or whatever. Um, and I feel like that was added post to try and rationalize why she would bring the sword into the house. Cause she had no reason to suspect that the demon had gotten sucked up into the sword. Uh, yes, I think you are. Um, I think you're right with that. Um, although there is a scene in the house where she, she says, uh, that's the demon I killed the other night or whatever. And that's also dubbed over. That's also a scene where we don't see Buffy <laughs> deliver the line. It, it, feels like that was added in post and I'm not sure why one one uh post add in was oh you're running away too too afraid to fight me and the other post dialogue was oh that's the demon I killed the other night yeah. <laughs> I don't know why the inconsistency there I don't know either but yeah I mean they do seem like they were both 80 yard that's the phrase 80 yard I talk oh. about this stuff enough you'd think I would <laughs> Uh, uh, any anything else about this one? Um, I had a couple of like random thoughts that were either callbacks or kind of foreshadowing. Okay. I can go through real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so one was the slug candles, which was a callback to serial life. The what candles? The slug candles. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the again, kind of hitting the magic addiction metaphor hard with the spellcasters anonymous mm-hmm. um which even the show kind of recognizes is uh silly yeah um 
Buffy, when she's talking to Don, repeats Halfrick's phrasing. Um, I didn't write. I should have written down the exact phrase, but I didn't. Um, but I thought that was interesting because Buffy will become a guidance counselor in season seven. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't remember a lot about season seven. Yeah. Um, Halfrick getting pierced in the gut. Same thing will happen to Anya and Selfless. Dang, you're good at yep. this. I actually I rewatched Selfless. Oh, okay. Um, in prep for this because of because um, of Hell's Bells. Um, and then yeah, just the casting of of Cecily. But that's I think all that I have for that one. That's good. Um, I guess I would just point out the the symmetry of both Dawn and Willow have to reveal or or are found out for their secret stashes oh yeah yeah that's good i mm-hmm. i the, sh- the episode didn't try to draw parallels between the two of them that i could see other than that but that seems so pointed that it mm-hmm. had to mean something yeah I, I mean i think the resolution of the episode is also nice where we should talk about but you know buffy staying inside yeah not. yeah um Okay, well, let's move on to, wait, a muscle cramp in your pants? That was a good line. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's move on to As You Were. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I expect you've got some thoughts on this one. Oh, I have some. I have a timeline drawn drawn out. (laughs) I have have thoughts. (laughs) All right. Well, well, uh, take us away. Um, So I guess we start with Buffy's um, terrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) Um. Which this guy at work, he is insufferable. <laughs> As if the job doesn't is doesn't suck enough. Buffy starts this episode scraping out a grease trap and being mansplained to about Machiavelli. About about Machiavelli, just the worst. <laughs> oh man, and he doesn't even die. No, I mean, yeah, I would have been fine with that. The <laughs> demon had because he is just, and he just keeps going. Oh, he's awful. Um, interesting that uh, we're seeing Buffy succumb to Double Meat Palace the way, it, like, like in the episode Double Meat Palace. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the running—I don't know if "jokes" is the right word—but one of the running gags was that all the employees that worked there had were like lifeless and right. zombie-like, and now Buffy is too when she's there yes yeah and she gets into her head right she's singing the jingle right yeah on my home um and the vampire who doesn't want to eat her yeah that was a nice touch I liked that yeah um but there is a vampire who does want her Mm -hmm. um so that was a a fun scene with Spike and I think it does uh, kind of set, you know, set up why she is with Spike, right? What she's getting out of the relationship. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't appreciate the fact. I mean, I don't enjoy the fact that she like breaks up with Spike. All, mm-hmm. Except that I also have, all these years later, accepted the fact that yeah, this relationship was never going to work. Oh yeah. So, um, I mean trash it's a trash ship but yeah yeah i'm still captain it i don't care (laughs) exactly um so yeah i'm I'm not happy that it happens but i'm 
I'm surprisingly well adjusted. Like I, I like the way that it happens. I do too, and uh, I we uh, definitely get get to that at the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other bad things that happen to Buffy, she has to clean grass stains, which always sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that with her line of again, her line of work as a slayer, she would you know stick with the black co- coats. Buffy. None of this mustard yellow nonsense. <laughs> right, right. Although to be fair, she didn't she didn't know she was going to be rolling around in the grass with a vampire. But she I mean, she was attacked by one that's... on the way home from work. It seems like that's a fairly common occurrence True. in her. True. You know, I'm just saying a sensible wardrobe is everyone's friend. <laughs> as as a messy eater who only wears black. <laughs> <laughs> So, what other bad things happen to her? She forgets to put out the garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets rejected from UC Sunnydale. The if you look at the shots of the the house, the kitchen is a mess. Yeah, the sink is totally full of dishes. Yeah. And then, worst of all, Riley shows up. <laughs> worst of all, <laughs> I'm I'm cu- I'm curious to see where we can take the conversation about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, not to remind our listeners, where do you stand on Riley? I do not like Riley. I think he's toxic. <laughs> um. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're in the minority on that one. Um, whereas I, I like to champion minority causes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I am a fan of Dawn and I'm also a fan of Riley. I, you know, I'm not head over heels in love with the character of Riley Finn and I'm totally fine with him being written off. Um, I just never hated him as much as everybody else did. And I like, um, even though the like scene to scene, the moment to moment way it plays out in this is very soap opera-ish and, and mm-hmm. not particularly inspired, I, and I want to roll my eyes at it and say, did we really like, did they need to bring him back just for one episode? But I, and Buffy needed Buffy, the character and the show needed this kind of moment at this point, because the season has been bleak Mm -hmm. and uh, giving her something, first of all, giving her even just a few moments where she can sort of go back to being the Buffy she used to be, where she's a little bit quippy and, um, she seems to be enjoying the whole uh, slaying aspect again now that she's out with Riley. Um, that was needed, I think, but also just letting her sort of uh, find her place, letting her sort of reset and, and mm-hmm. recognize where she is by the end of the episode. I mean, you may not like the fact that it was Riley that played that role, but and I don't, I have things to say about his little pep talk at the end, but we can get to that. Uh, okay. All right. Well, you, you're the one with the timeline. So, okay. Here's my first question. How old is Riley? Uh, are you being serious? I'm being so serious. How old is he? I don't know, but he was a year above Buffy, right? In, in school. I would disagree with that. Okay. I would say that he's a TA at a state school. He's grading papers and assignments, so he has to be a grad student when Buffy meets him. So he's at least four years older than her. Okay. 
All right. He's at least, at the very, very least, 22, if not older. Okay. Now, I mean, she did date a vampire. She's dated sure. two vampires that are hundreds of years older than her, but I get where you're going. And I think we, we did talk about this, about um, the kind of power dynamics and the how it's unethical for uh-huh. a TA to date a student. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to... Um, get on that soapbox today because I have other soapboxes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So by season six, he's 24. Okay. Sure. Okay. So how long ago did he break up with Buffy? A year. A, a year. Okay. He says he's been married to Sam for four months. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this means eight months after he broke up with Buffy, he's already married to Sam. Yeah. Sam says that she describes him as being ripped up inside after the breakup with Buffy and tells Buffy that it took Riley a year to get over Buffy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what's going on in this timeline? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh the I can sort of fan my fan wank my way around the her saying that it took him a year to get over obviously sam didn't spend that whole year with him but but they have talked about buffy i think um sure and so i think she's just aware of the fact that it that he spent eight months really getting over buffy and then the four months that they've been together he's also still had issues no 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 they haven't been together for four months they've been married Married for four months right yeah well I don't don't know. Sam deserves better. (laughs) Well, that might be true because Sam seems like a genuinely cool character. And I'm, I'm sorry that we never get more of her. She is amazing. And again, the only thing I have against her, the only thing is that she tells Xander and Anya to use disposable cameras at their wedding. (laughs) Why? What's the matter with that? Because that's always going to be terrible. It's always a bad idea. You do not want the stupid pictures that your friends take (laughs) at your wedding. (laughs) Well, my wife and I did that at the reception, not at the wedding. And and yeah, not not much good came out of that. Yeah. So that's the only thing, the entire episode, that I have against her. (laughs) Um, I I mean, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say in terms of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that's not the worst sin. So no. And I mean that wedding, uh, we know how that wedding goes. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, she's amazing. She blames Riley for not giving Buffy all the details of the mission, which is correct. Mm -hmm. Um, she also graciously recognizes that they're imposing on Buffy. Mm Mm-hmm. She treats Dawn as an adult, unlike, say, Anya last episode, but also respects Buffy's authority. Mm-hmm. She apologizes to, for, uh, to Willow for bringing up magic addiction and reaffirms Willow yeah. in a really beautiful way. She values Buffy as a person and a slayer. She's great. Yeah, she's fantastic. And I really wish that we got more of her ever again anywhere. I know. Well, she is in the comics. Oh, damn those comics. Um, but I wish that she had stayed and Riley went away. <laughs> oh, man, man, you're making this so tough. <laughs> no, I really. Oh, I. Okay. So I have some pretty serious issues with Riley um, in this episode. Okay. 
um, particularly the way that he handles the Sam reveal. Like, uh-huh. he had opportunity to tell Buffy that he was married. Yeah. Um, but instead, like, you know, like when she was changing in front of him in the car, that would have been a good time. Right. Um, but instead he's too busy, like flirting with her and trying to make quippy one-liners, um, then rather than telling her that he's married. This is true. Yeah. Don't like that. That wasn't (laughs) fair to Buffy. Wasn't fair to Sam. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you're right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, is there more? Uh, I mean, well, what do you, what do you have in defense? Because I've been beating Riley up. Um, you know, what do you have in defense of Riley? In this um, I mean, I don't I don't have a lot in this <laughs> specific to this episode to defend Riley. Like you're you're, I wasn't <laughs> as annoyed by all of that as you obviously were. But as you pointed out, I'm like, oh yeah, you're you're right. You're totally right. Um, like I I tended to think more of the fact that, you know, while she was changing in the car, he easily could have flashed the fact that he's wearing a ring, which I don't know if he is. I can't remember if they're wearing rings or not, but um, I, I tend to get annoyed by that in the sense of that's lazy writing is how I think of it. That's, that's Mm -hmm. the writers letting misunderstandings go by having characters do dumb things in order to drag out the plot or, set up a reveal for later. Um, You know, uh, that's usually how it annoys me less so than damn, Mm -hmm. damn Riley was an idiot. He should have used that moment. Um, I mean, sometimes I go that route, but in this particular instance, it didn't really, I didn't think of it that way. Well, that was very generous of you. (laughs) I mean, I love Douglas Petrie, the writer and director of this episode, (laughs) but uh, yeah, uh, those are the things that I'm usually like, come on, you, you, find a better way of writing that scene like if you if you if what you want is for the reveal of him being married and his wife showing up to be a big shock or whatever find a more organic way of doing that instead of setting up this stupid situation in the van where he has plenty of opportunity to say it and doesn't for some reason right yeah no because like i said especially because he is flirting with buffy yeah um, so that's not cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say it's uh, in terms of being specific to this episode. I, I don't have, I actually don't have that much to say about Riley. I mean, I like the fact that he hugged Dawn at the end, I guess <laughs> that's a sure. point in his favor. Um, yeah, I don't know. The fact that I, I always appreciate the fact that he threatens but doesn't actually kill Spike. Yeah. D- does that count as a point in his favor? Sure, I guess. Okay. That's one. One point. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, no, you can just go ahead and keep staring him down. It's cool. No, I don't think I have too much. Oh, except that he never apologized for what went part wrong in their for his part and what went wrong in their relationship. That was kind of my issue with the end speech. Uh-huh. We're giving her this, I'm a man, I'll reaffirm you, Buffy, speech. Um, and she, <laughs> she apologizes for what happened between them. He doesn't. And that um, that annoyed me, too. Okay. No, that's fair. Uh, and uh, maybe let's talk about this, because I... Y- 
you're right. I can't remember what our conversation was around the, is it into the woods? No. What was the episode when he left? Yeah. It's into the woods. Into the woods. Um, I don't remember exactly like the specifics of what we talked about, but I suspect I was a little easier on Riley than you were in that. I think you were. Um, <clears throat> and so in this particular instance, I, I wasn't watching that scene thinking, Oh, he should be apologizing to her. Um, I was, I was trying to analyze what is Buffy saying here? Like what's she about to say? Because what she wanted to say is, um, I, you know, I, I was trying to catch you. I, I was coming to mm -hmm. stop you. Um, I, I did not, um, you know, abandon you or whatever. I didn't, I didn't not show up mm -hmm. uh, or whatever. Uh, but she lets that go and she, you know, so her apology is fake in the sense that she's, she's apologizing for what he thinks the situation was, not what actually happened which maybe that's even more problematic, but I was too, I was too busy f sort of following that and not thinking yeah. about, he should be apologizing for something right now. Well, he, so, I mean, what happens is she says, Riley that night, I never got a chance to tell you how sorry I was about what happened between us. And he says, and you never have to. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like he should have said. Me too. I'm or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Instead of saying you never have to, because yes, he's absolving her from blame, but he's also not taking any blame. And if she's apologizing, it means that she probably, I mean, she does feel guilty about what happened between them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he could have apologized, especially since he was the one who was uh, cheating on her. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember we had words about that too. <laughs> um Okay. Well, let's see. So I, I mean, I, I don't have any way of taking up for him in this episode, I guess. So. All right. Good. I'm glad that I won. <laughs> All right. You, yes, you won. <laughs> it's, it's been settled. Um, so what else do we get in this episode? Uh, uh, I guess the breakup. Oh, right. wait, wait. Oh. For, first, first I want to talk about, did you find it weird that the, the black market dealer they were looking for, who turns out to be Spike, uh, calls himself the doctor. Yes. I thought it was very weird. <laughs> okay. Why did you think it was weird? Um, I thought, and is it supposed to be like a doctor who reference? I don't, I don't know. I didn't think of that until after the fact, the reason it was weird to me is Joel Gray played the character doc. At, uh, the, right, at yeah. the end of season five. Um, and Spike had, you know, significant interactions with him mm -hmm. in season five. And I just thought it was weird that Spike would now call himself the doctor. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why they did that. It must've been a doctor who reference, but I don't get it. Like, I don't, it seems like a totally random thing. Like, mm -hmm. is, is there an episode of doctor who where he's smuggling eggs or something? I I'm, not enough of a Whovian. Okay. Yeah, neither Maybe am I. That. Um, but yes, I did think that that was um, weird. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's all I had to say about it other than, I mean, it was just so, that okay, it was So what was did you make of, um, of Spikes being the one behind this egg smuggling scheme? I mostly... 
I mostly just ignore it. Like it's the kind of thing that I easily could be annoyed about because it's, I could blow it out of proportion and maybe it's not blowing it out of proportion. Maybe I'm going to talk myself into being pissed off now, but I, I could choose to look at that as another way that the writers show us how like just casually evil Spike is because he must have, he must have some idea. Spike is knowledgeable about this stuff. He must have some idea what these things are that he's selling. So he must have some idea of what they could be used for. And the fact that he is concealing it from Buffy and uh, I don't know, it, it's in any other episode that could have been the trigger for Buffy to be genuinely like just totally pissed off at Spike and have another big blow up with him about how you're a, an evil soulless thing. And I can't believe I ever trusted you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately it's just kind of, it's a MacGuffin or whatever in this episode. Which is why I do my best to just sort of ignore it, I guess. So why do you think he is um, trafficking in these eggs? I I don't know. Do do you find some importance, some significance to this? Um, Well, I think his motive might be in part that he's trying to help Buffy. Um, so in the episode Double Meat Palace, when he goes to see her there, he tells her that she doesn't need to work there. Uh-huh. Uh, he can get money. He can get money. He can. Oh, okay. Care of her. So I wonder if that's part of his motivation. Okay. Uh, I mean, that is. I like that read. I I would love to go with that. Um, <laughs> but there's also the fact that Spike has just always well. Off and on, the re- the writers like to remind us that Spike loves money. Oh, it, that's true. That he yeah. does stuff just to get money, um, which is another how re- that well established character character trait. <laughs> yeah, um, it comes up a couple times in season four. Yeah, I mean Giles has to pay him to do something, yeah. and I don't, I don't know. But again, it, it's it was a thing that. I could have been annoyed at because it could have been the writer saying, see, see spike. You can't trust him. He's always doing evil shenanigans in the background. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was just so sort of casual that I try to pretend it didn't even happen. Okay. That's fair. Um, I do like, can we get to the breakup? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I, I don't like that. It has to happen, but I do like, that it happens. I do like the way it happens. And particularly I like where it's going to lead to in the next episode. Yes. Yeah. I love their interaction in the next episode. Um, yeah. These are, these are both examples of both characters being uncharacteristically mature. Yeah. And kind, kind to each other. Yeah. Is that they hadn't been the entire time that they were sleeping together. Right. Um, um I, I I mean, Buffy does kind of give him a, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Each, True. Uh, but probably the nicest way. Yeah. Of doing that. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if in that scene he still had the bruised eye. Um, In the scene where she breaks up with him? Yeah. I don't believe so. Oh, okay. So, so it, it wasn't meant that way. I was shocked at the beginning of, well, I, I guess it was last episode. It was the it was the birthday party yeah. episode when he walked in and he had the black eye. I was shocked that 
the writer that they made a point of leaving that detail in, mm -hmm. but never had either character remark on it in any way. Right. No, I, and yeah, I think that that was also a weird choice. And that's kind of what I was getting at in when I was talking about how there's something slightly off about their interactions. I mean, so apparently something happened that we didn't see between the two of okay. them where they talked about this or something. I mean, I'm sure there's fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, to fill in that gap. But yes, it is odd that he's still bruised. And we know that vampires heal very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so this either happened very recently or he was very badly hurt. Well, um, is, is this not, is this not left over from when she beat the hell out of him in the alley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how many days does it take a vampire yeah. to heal from a bruise? Yeah. 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 Um, so it is it is odd that it goes unremarked upon by them that they don't talk about what happened. But that might also just be what their relationship is. They don't seem to be big into the talking. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so the breakup is is uncharacteristically uh, mature mm -hmm. and, and without drama, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And I like the fact that she she I have to be careful how I phrase this because I don't want to make it sound like she's apologizing and he's not now. Um, but like she takes ownership of the fact that, you know, this relationship is killing me. Um, mm -hmm. And part of the reason is because I'm not being a good person in it. Yeah. Like, I don't like the person I am in this relationship because I'm, I'm taking advantage of you. I'm using you. And this episode did a, very very good job like the, I, th I feel like the show has struck Buffy is why and how Buffy is using Spike mm -hmm. um, it's it's often played for a joke and when it's not it's usually played for Spike as being super creepy about it um, yeah I mean I have written what did she what did she say I think I paraphrased it um she says that she was being she was with him because it made things simpler for a while. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was a really good way of of phrasing kind of what she um, is getting out of out of their relationship. Uh, and I OK, so I think an advantage to having Riley be the catalyst for this, having Riley come back uh, is because that was a relationship that ended in kind of an unresolved way and she's in this weird headspace now where when he shows back up she briefly feels like oh maybe i have a shot at a, a quote-unquote normal relationship again mm -hmm. um I, because of that we get the scene where you know she sees riley and sam being all lovey-dovey and she immediately goes to spike and says tell me you love me tell me you want me right um that is as clear cut an example as the show has ever managed to find of just exactly what Buffy is using Spike for. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, I just liked the way that the episode mm -hmm. set that up, had that happen. And then it leads to this breakup. Yeah. And that she, she acknowledges that she was being weak and being selfish and that she can't love him. And I think what's implicit in that is that that's not fair to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. And then she calls him William. Yeah. Which is, I, I I took that as sweet, and I think that was meant to be sweet. I've seen other people say that it was, 
it's problematic because the only time we ever hear strong women call him William is when they're being cruel to him, <laughs> whatever, including saying things like you're beneath me or whatever. Yeah, I'm not, I'm trying to think of the other episode where she yeah, calls I can't, him William. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I didn't read it that way. I, I thought that it was a sweet. No, if anything, I feel like it's a moment where she um, is maybe, I don't know, acknowledging his humanity. Yes, absolutely. Um, acknowledging the man that he was, right? Because that's something that's kind of always been um, between them is the you know the i know i'm a monster but you treat me like a man which is a great line i wish it was true <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but just you know kind of the duality of spike mm -hmm. so. um any, any, anything else in here uh so i have a couple again a couple of callbacks okay oh one thing one note i did have is Dawn shipping Willow and Tara is adorable and I love it. <laughs> I'm on her side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the stuff between Xander and Anya. So the stress eating chips, which I'm a stress eater. So relatable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, I loved the traffic scene. It's a hell radio. Of course it said there's no traffic. <laughs> Yes, that was funny. And then um, kind of the foreshadowing that we are going to get um, with Xander saying, I hate my family. That's why I'm marrying you to start a new one. I'm going to see how well that works out in the next episode. Um, and I do think that they have a nice arc um, of realizing that the wedding is not the marriage. That was a beautiful moment. So it, was that in this one or is that in Hell's Bells? That's in this one because they're okay. asking Sam uh, about her wedding to right. Riley. Right. Which, again, he's apparently still not over Buffy when he's getting hitched to Sam. She <laughs> deserves better. But um, she, she deserves a man who is with her 100%, um, who's not thinking about his exes. It's, you know. She deserves Spike. I, she, sure. I, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I mean that, but uh, I kind of mean it. Uh, um, so, so they're learning about their wedding, and then that's kind of when Anya and Xander at the end of the episode are hiding in the bathroom from their terrible yeah guests. Uh, they realize that the the wedding, you know, all of the pressure that they're putting on each other and themselves. Uh, to have the perfect wedding is misplaced because what's what's important is not the wedding it's it's the marriage it's the relationship that comes afterward yeah well i think that's a perfect way to transition into the wedding okay i mean i do have a couple of callbacks oh okay i'm sorry go ahead um just a few so there's a callback to flooded with the guns these things are never useful oh right yeah um and then riley saying you're a hell of a woman to Buffy in his buck up kid speech that he gives her. Uh -huh. um, it, Spike will repeat that in touched. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm hmm. Does that, does that taint that line for you? The fact that, no. okay. No, because Spike obviously means it more. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Sorry. I No, my, I that's that one's fair. I'll give you that one. I'll give my you that one. shipping goggles are rose tinted and <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, all right. Um I mean, I I let's not kid ourselves. I would take Spike over Riley any day on twice on Sundays, but Mhm. <laughs> Anyways. Uh well, he okay um so i'm not sleeping on top of a sarcophagus with anyone <laughs> that's like so terribly uncomfortable right um and i i mean obviously we know why they had to be on top of the sarcophagus and not in the bed right um but i mean i guess we get a, a call our uh call back to that later when buffy says that spike's crypt was comfy i assume she's not talking about the blanket over the sarcophagus but <laughs> I think she says that in lessons when she's talking to the uh, to the new slayers. Okay. okay. Hell's bells. All right. We... All right. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess one last thing on on the the breakup scene. Uh-huh. Um, uh, again, something that I I could have rolled my eyes at under other circumstances, um, but the visual metaphor of her breaking up with spike and then walking out of the shadow and into the sunlight. I had a note of that too. Yeah. Um, okay. So hell's bells. Um, interesting side note. Um, I was watching these last night and my wife came into the room and I was like, I offered to put on headphones so she didn't have to listen to this stuff. And she was like, no, it's okay. I'll, you can keep playing it. And she realized uh, as we were going along that the one and only episode of Buffy she had never seen, I don't know how this happened, but she had never seen Hell's Bell. I didn't get feedback from her afterwards, so I don't, I'm not sure she was super impressed, but she, she I mean, did. I could make a guess. <laughs> it, whether she was or not, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I suspect she wasn't really all that moved by it, but anyways so that was more that detail was more interesting to me than the episode itself was <laughs> so on that note let's talk about the episode um I'll, I'll kick us off by saying we get a crotch shot of xander as he asks is it too small that was an interesting oh, i didn't notice that but it's, i don't it's when it's when she was when she was when buffy was trying to put his cummerbund on okay okay yeah anyways so i'll let you take it from there <laughs> um i do like the cold opening Remind, remind me what the oh the the, the, Buffy, the bridesmaids uh jokes about how that bridesmaids dresses will never get old yeah so. yeah that was fun yeah that's something i'll say that one one reason why i'm i don't think i dislike the episode i'm just kind of who cares <laughs> about it uh is that the the television trope of um leading up to a wedding that then gets messed up or the usually the groom gets cold feet or whatever it's such it's such tired it's such a tired cliche um along with in my opinion the tired joss cliche of no no couple can remain happy right. um that mostly i just roll my eyes at this episode yeah um i was confused about the timeline hmm? i was confused about the time but i guess so they're all just getting ready we start with them getting ready uh-huh. and then Cassandra's still at home. Okay. I figured out the timeline. Okay. I got it. I thought it was, yeah, I got it. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no. Cool. Um, what, so uh, what are your thoughts? 
Xander's family is, um, as he said in the previous episode, just awful. Yeah, I think he says, your family are demons, my family are monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the amount of sexual harassment that's mm. going on. Um, and if we're reading demons as the racial other, then there's also a fair amount of uh, casual racism. Yeah. Um, I, I want to jump. I know you're trying to follow these timelines, but on that <laughs> note, on that note, I want to jump to something that happens at the end when the, uh, the monster of the week gets killed when Xander in front of the wedding party kills this <laughs> demon, which as far as Xander's fam, So, so here's my thought pattern. Xander's family doesn't know demons from, from anything. They think these are quote unquote circus folk. And they see Xander crush the head of one of these circus folk and they all burst into applause. (laughs) No, it doesn't hold together. Okay. So yeah. I've done that outside. Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. His family are monsters. So anyways. Okay. I will have a suggestion that they cover the dead demon in flowers. I really liked that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so they're kind of almost so over the top terrible that I don't even know um, how much we should talk about it. Um, other than we, you know, it is obviously the, the episode needs to remind us of how awful his father in particular is. Yeah. Um, so we've gotten hints of this throughout the series. Like Xander sleeps outside on Christmas Eve and amends because he doesn't want to hear his parents drunken fighting. Um, his dream and restless. He's kind of being menaced by this figure. Right. Um, At the top of the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is something that the series has established, though not in the level of detail that we get in this particular episode. Yeah. We'd also heard several references to Uncle Rory. Yes. In the past. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time we see him. Is that right? I believe so. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I think, I think you're right about yeah. that. Um, it might be the first time we've seen Xander's parents too. I, I'm almost positive it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and I recognize the actress that played his mother, but I didn't bother to look it up what I've <laughs> seen her in, but um, yeah. So I, I think in my notes, I tried to, I tried to say something in my notes about how it, this particular cliche of the, the groom getting cold feet mm-hmm. in this instance, Xander getting cold feet, um, was felt unearned. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know if I can stand by that. Um, because you're right. They have been, they have kind of been setting this up all season. I think maybe for me, the problem is that, Xander, with the exception maybe of once more with feeling where we, where each character did get some spotlight moments. Um, Xander has kind of been almost a non, a non-presence in this season. He really, Mm -hmm. he really hasn't had his own story, so to speak. Um, And so the whole buildup to him, uh, even after he finds out that, you know, the visions he saw weren't real or whatever, he's worried that they can be real. I get that that's why his family is there being awful on camera, but I just wish, like, maybe if we'd met his family an episode or two earlier 
in the season? I don't know. Do do you how do you do you feel like it was unearned him getting cold feet and leaving her at the altar? Um Yeah, I think to certain to I mean I under again I understand where the show was coming from with it. Um kind of his fears about and I I like that that's part of what uh motivated him was his fears about who he would become. Mm-hmm. Um not necessarily his fears about Anya. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, I, I know I should never expect anything like this from a John Sweden show, but I would have, I actually would have really enjoyed this episode if it had gone down the TV trope route of, oh, we're going to get a wedding there where everything goes wrong and mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to look like the, the wedding's going to fall through or whatever, but they'd found a way to make it work at the end. Like, even if they had both run away and just left both their families fighting and they'd eloped or whatever, mm-hmm. if that if it had been a, a totally unexpected Joss Whedon twist of having them end the episode happy despite everything... Um, I would have enjoyed that a lot more. Yes, I, I agree. I think. Um, and not just because I prefer happy endings, because I don't always prefer happy endings, but I, I, I don't know. The the cliffhanger, I know there's more to it than this because they have sort of been laying the groundwork for this for a while with uh, his terrible family and his fears of marriage and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it almost played like they wanted to do, they did this just so they could have that cliffhanger of DeHoffrin offering her her job back. Right. Daddy DeHoffrin, as I referred to him in my notes. Daddy DeHoffrin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, and obviously them being broken up is going to also be important for events later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um that is a lot of like the full, like the blow up with um, the, the fallout with Spike and when he has sex with Anya and Buffy sees it. Yeah. And then the fallout from that becomes important. Um, yeah. I, I, I know we get things out of this, but I, I, <laughs> I think I, personally think that we could have well i mean I've, I've been saying this about joss whedon for years that that it is possible to find drama and in my opinion sometimes better drama better dramatic storytelling out of happy couples than it is to just build up a romance and then tear it apart so yeah. so i can i can easily imagine how uh we still could have had plenty of drama and and horror and and comedy out of a married xander and anya and I don't know if splitting them up, at him leaving her at the altar, and what we gain from that is enough to justify it, in my opinion. Yep. No, I'm not. You're not going to get much pushback from me. Okay. Damn it! Come on, I need pushback. We can't just agree on everything. Let's bring Riley. Well, bring Riley back. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did get my new one of my new favorite ships. Okay. Which is Crevel. Mm. Kreslin and and cousin Karen, cousin Carol rather. Yeah, there. love them both. Yeah, that was great. 
Uh, he seems lovely. I know. I love I, him. I get why Cousin Carol is thirsting after him. <laughs> she also has one of my favorite episodes in, or my favorite line in the episode, which is, uh, I want to, I wrote it down. It's a wedding, honey. We're all bored. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was great. So great. love those two. Uh, you know, spin off of a, a sitcom with their romance is what I would like. Yeah. He could be a stepdad to that daughter. That would be great. Yeah. I mean, Carol is also the one who says, Buffy, we need to do something. <laughs> she seems wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite line, I think my favorite line was uh, Anya saying, it's probably the blush of imprudent spending. <laughs> yes, that was good. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's see. What have we got here? Yeah, cliche, trope, blah, blah, blah. Oh, um, I don't I don't know if we're ready to get to this yet, but my, my very favorite thing about this episode, and I don't know if it justifies the episode itself, but, but I will... <laughs> I wouldn't lose Hell's Bells if it meant losing this scene, is the, the interaction between Buffy and Spike at the wedding. Yes, that is beautiful. Now... Don't appreciate Don slut shaming Spike's date. True. Don't True. appreciate True. that. Um, yeah, it's very clear. Spike so much as as admits that he's using this woman to make Buffy jealous. It's not this woman's fault. Right. And just like I didn't like Willow offering to hate Sam, which you know didn't last the whole episode because, of course, it didn't. Sam is amazing. I mean that that did give us the funny line, and I agree that's not a that's not a trope that I like in fiction or a thing that I like in real life. Yeah, where don't like women hating women over men. Right, right, right. But we did get the funny line at the end of Willow saying, "What a bitch." Yeah. Which clearly she didn't mean. And at least they, you know, subverted that with you know, of course Willow was won over by Sam because mm -hmm. she's amazing uh, and is exchanging email addresses with her. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, don't like women hating women over men. Right. Especially if that man's Riley. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Let's bring some of that back. Um, yeah. So the, so the interaction between the two of, uh, between Buffy and Spike is, um, I don't remember all of the finer points of stuff that's coming up, but at the moment, um, uh, leaving out the stuff that just openly makes me weep, <laughs> the the really touching stuff that usually Spike delivers when he's talking to Buffy, uh, this is one of my favorite exchanges between the two characters with them both acknowledging, th they both acknowledge the game that's being played under the surface here, not really under the surface, that's blatantly being played with him trying to make her jealous. And Buffy admitting that, yeah, it, it works. You know, it doesn't change things, but it does hurt. Um, yeah. So I had some notes on this one. Um, so we get, we transition to the scene between them with the line, sometimes all two people can bring each other as pain. Uh huh. Not um, particularly uh, promising. Right. Um, so what interest, what's interesting is that. You know, so Buffy does admit that she's jealous, though she says that that doesn't change anything. And then he apologizes um, before catching himself. 
a marked contrast to one Riley Finn, <laughs> who doesn't really apologize for showing up with another woman. <laughs> <laughs> You're very right. You're very right. <laughs> um, and then Spike does offer to leave because he doesn't want to make Buffy unhappy. Right. And then I, I also thought it was um, interesting that he tells her that she glows because mm-hmm. he doesn't get to see her happy very often, um, but that she gl- glows, uh, which is interesting because that is, of course, a synonym for effulgent. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Mm-hmm. So he, Spike is not very nice to his date, though. I just... No, he grabs her by the arm and drags her out. Yeah, and she like wants to stay for the wedding, which I don't know why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I would be, I would happily miss the cer- wedding ceremony of someone I didn't know if I thought I had a chance of going back to like crypt with him. But I don't know why she was so invested in it. But okay. Well, I I would there. also I would also happily miss. <laughs> The opportunity of staying at a wedding if I thought I could get to scream. I, I mean, be, to be honest, um, even if it was someone I knew but didn't know well, I would be happy with pretty much any excuse to miss their wedding. I mean, any friend of mine would understand. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there must be more in this episode. I was all prepared to in fact in my notes i started to say um hymen the greek greek god of matrimony really (laughs) like i thought that was too ridiculous but as i was typing that i was like wait a minute no that might be true (laughs) so i looked it up and yes hymen is the greek god of matrimony so it was a funny line delivered but it wasn't it it wasn't made up hymen really is the greek god of matrimony Um, um I'm looking at other things. I mean, do we want to talk a little bit more in detail about the um, the visions of the supposed future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. did you think of Anya's old lady makeup? Um, I thought the I thought one of them was more effective than the other. Like, I think the the oldest version of her, mm-hmm. I thought that looked pretty good because it almost it almost didn't look like her. Uh, right. One one of the things that makes that creates that uncanny valley aspect when you put young actors in old makeup is that it looks like a young person wearing old makeup. Um, mm-hmm. But at least one of the one of her makeup versions looked altered enough for me to believe that it, you know, mm-hmm. that the age worked. But there was one where not only was the makeup just not, didn't look convincing, but you could see where the spirit gum had where they had gl- right. like glued her chin piece on or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, mo- it mostly didn't work for me. What, what about yeah. you? Um, I thought it mostly was bad. Okay. That's why I made a note of it. <laughs> okay. Um, if it had been good, I probably would not have even noticed it. Uh, uh, so, um, Again, I think they did a nice job with the mise-en-scene here and kind of doing using the backdrop to tell a lot of the story, mm-hmm. um, using the setting to tell a lot of the story, uh, kind of looking at the, you know, the, the initial um, house that they're in, this kind of disheveled room, 
um, with our crooked pictures and there's laundry everywhere. Um, and then the cheesy Italian restaurant. Um, and then, oh, that whatever they were eating in that last scene looked so gross. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I mean, just the uh, Xander being afraid of turning into his father. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, oh, I also I love Anya is a Mary Kay lady and a really good one with her pink Cadillac. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's a good that was good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what did you what did you make of these visions of the future? Um, I I remember thinking that they were. I remember in the past on past viewings that they felt over the top. I have never been a fan of this trope of the, the marriage that almost happens, but then doesn't. Um, so I think I, in the past, I've thought of it as that was a little over the top or whatever mm-hmm. this time, even knowing what the twist was, even knowing that that's not actually future Xander and that stuff. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I bought into it more. I mean, I hear, I know I'm giving conflicting messages because out of one side of my mouth, I'm saying it felt a little unearned. I didn't think they'd set it up enough. And, but now I'm saying that um, in some sense that was actually kind of believable. Um, the, where it loses me is in that last vision where it suggests that he's beats her to death with, with a, a frying pan. pan. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't, but him, you know, because the way that they set it up with Buffy being dead um, and that he can't work because he hurt his backbiting demons, which means, you know, he also isn't going to qualify for unemployment. Um, that all like that worked for me in terms of thinking about uh, his potential character arc. Um, and yeah. Um, so that all worked. And then, that family dinner out also mm-hmm. worked for me because I worked in the service industry um, enough that I've seen those families right <laughs> out. Um, the I wish like so there were some things that didn't work quite as well like the Anya having the affair or affairs that are suggested mm-hmm. um, with the daughter not being his or that again um I, I i could have used like another i know they were trying to do this as economically as possible but i could have used a little bit more with that maybe even like a third or having a fourth flashback i don't know um to set that up but so i have i have my take on this but i, I want to ask you just just out of curiosity do you because the the orb that uh whatever his name is mr mr burns or what i can't remember what his name is the the monster of the week Mm -hmm. that orb that he uses we don't get any information about that like we don't know no one ever there's no giles in the episode to explain you know the historical significance of this thing um so we don't know how it works uh the implication i guess is that it completely just made up those visions. Like, like he was just showing Xander whatever he needed to see in order to, you know, to call off the wedding, to picture his worst possible future. Mm -hmm. But 
is there any way that you could read any of that stuff, any of those visions as having any kind of truth to them? Hmm. I, I mean, the way that I read it is similar to what you're saying, which is that it's showing him his worst fears, right? And so that would make sense with the way that he's being emasculated mm-hmm. um, in these visions, because that is, Z- Xander does have this kind of anxious masculinity. Uh, so not being able to work, be the breadwinner, right? Provide for his family is one of the ways in which his masculinity is challenged. I mean, he sang about that in Once More with Feeling. Right. Um, and then also kind of having this um, kind of this a sexual threat to his masculinity mm-hmm. in being cuckolded. Right. Um, it also, I think, works. What do you, what do you think? No, I, I agree. I I didn't really think that that was any. I, I, I The only reason I asked is because since we don't get any kind of explanation of what that thing is, there there have been plenty of MacGuffins in episodes of this series where it's a crystal ball that shows you a potential future. This is something that could really happen or I don't know. I, I easily could have imagined a scenario where they would try to convince us that he was seeing a glimpse of one possible future. Um, But I think the episode as, as close as the episode comes to explaining it is that it was really just completely fabricated, fabricated out of his own worst fears. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I said that the the that Xander's family was a little over the top in terms of their like how just monstrous they are, and I also said I ra- would rather the episode had ended differently. I did experience a brief moment where I allowed the the emotional manipulation to work when he is when Xander is standing in front of Anya, and he's saying, you know, it wasn't true, but it could be true. And he looks over and sees his drunken mother and father fighting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in that one moment, I even recognized, I was like the inner Paul was rolling his eyes and saying, don't you fall for it. But for just a second, I was like, Oh, I get it. Okay. Now (laughs) like this feels resonant to me right now. Um, But yeah, I, I still wish that it could have ended differently. I mean, so the emotional moment that got me was um, Anya walking down uh-huh. the aisle while Here Comes the Bride is playing. And um, yeah, and Emma Caulfield. I think I called her Emma Coulson earlier in the episode. You Emma did. Caulfield is her name. Yeah. Uh, is just like expressionless. That uh, That worked really well for me. I mean, it got me. Yeah. Um, I feel like. So, oh, so here I have a, another question. Okay. And, and then maybe we can close this. Um. So Willow says, "I feel like I should be hating Xander." Uh huh. At the end of the episode, my question is, sh- should we be hating Xander? Is that the question you're posing to me? I'm. Yeah, I'm posing that question to you. The, wow, you've put me in an awkward position here because I've spent the most of the run of this podcast kind of, sort of, a little bit hating Xander. Uh, and I think that, um, again, allowing space for my read of this being a manipula- a meta-manipulation by the damn writers, um, I, at this moment, don't 
feel like we should be hating Xander. Maybe I've, I, I bought into his, uh, his self doubt and his fear of becoming his father. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe at this moment, just this once I'm thinking I'm kind of like Willow. I know I, I feel like we should be hating Xander, but I can't bring myself to do it or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like on the one hand, I get it because I also am married brag. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I know what going through the wedding process is like. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember thinking that although I didn't have the doubts about getting married that Xander had, I remember thinking when I was going through that process, I'm glad I don't have those doubts because at this point we've put down thousands of dollars yeah. into this one thing. Um, and so we really can't, I mean, can't really get out of it. Uh, there is, once you start paying the kind of money uh, that it takes to, you know, for a wedding, um, it, you do kind of start to feel trapped by those financial commitments. Agree. Um, but I do feel like Xander probably should have talked to Anya more about, or if not Anya, maybe his, you know, best friend Willow right. or someone about some of the feelings that he was having um, instead of trying to repress them through the power of dance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you said, that gets brought up there, but then we really don't deal with it. And it seemed like at the end of the previous episode with the, it's not the wedding, it's the marriage um, that he and Anya were in a pretty good spot. So I think that that's kind of, I still do get a little angry at Xander, um, not for the way that he's feeling, but the way that he handled what he was feeling. But I also get it. Yeah, I, I did have a little bit of a reaction of he he's just walking off and leaving Anya to deal with the <laughs> the physical repercussions of having all of these people now that she, you know. Right. Like, like and, he's just going to disappear, but there's all the, there are all these people that have to be told what's going on, and and I, it's his terrible family. Right, right. Um, I, this is not to make an excuse because I don't take this seriously, uh, but because I also had the whole, I, I was in the financial fog of that whole experience myself as well. But you could you could look at it as uh, Xander was less worried about. Um, you know, wasting all of that money since it was his evil dad <laughs> that had paid for it as his, as his dad said several times. And I'm sure Xander is past caring what his dad spends money on. Sure. That's true. But then that makes his behavior even more inexcusable because mm -hmm. it wasn't his money or Anya, you know, Anya's money, which we know uh, she worked hard. She works hard for it. Right. So. All right, you've convinced me. I hate Xander now. <laughs> Wait, is that where I was trying to go? I don't. I I, I thought I was cutting him some slack this time. Uh, man, 
I, I do feel like, again, I, I don't remember an awful lot of season seven. So uh, there will be a lot of rediscoveries for me when we get to season seven. But it is my feeling at the moment that Xander kind of just floats around. Like, I, I don't feel like Xander ever really... Well, I mean, we get the yellow crayon moment at the end of the season, but I feel like Xander is kind of purposeless from this point on. Um, he has a real pervy moment with oh. some of the slayers, the you okay. know, the young teenage girls right. that he starts perving on. That's fun. Um, yeah, he he's mostly there. I mean, he loses an eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's there to buck up Dawn. Mm-hmm. A little bit. He does have that that great speech about they don't they don't know what it's like to not be chosen. That is a great speech, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't. Xander isn't one of the characters that I attend to particularly. So yeah, yeah. I don't. Well, I guess. Oh, he room. He's roommates with Spike for a while. Oh my goodness, I blocked that out apparently. Yeah. I didn't remember that. Um yeah. So well, that's going to be one of the things that I rediscover along the way. I, I at this moment I feel like uh he just sort of exists from now on. <laughs> like now that he's played the role of the groom that gets cold feet and leaves his his bride at the altar that he's just kind of there for the rest of the show and not not really all that important, which I'm sure is unfair. Yeah, I'd forgotten about his great speech about they don't know what it's like to not be chosen. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, and, and and Anya does get a good arc out of this, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, <sighs> well, all right. Well, we talked for two hours, so there we go. <laughs> I, this always happens. This always happens. <laughs> Um, I don't have too much else to. I don't know if I have anything else to say about this. <laughs> okay. Um, this episode, it's not. It's not a favorite of mine. Yeah. Although yeah. I will say, I did find Anya's vows touching. Yeah, I I did have a note about that. Her the final version of her vows mm-hmm. that we get to hear in, in voiceover as we're watching an aimless mm-hmm. uh, Xander wander the town were really good. I really liked that. Yeah, I mean, I also liked, I, Anya, promised to love you, to cherish you, to honor you, uh, but not to obey you, of course, because that's anachronistic and misogynistic, and who do you think you are, like a sea captain or something? <laughs> yes, that was great as well. Yeah. Um, But then I also liked, I do entrust you with my heart. Take care of my heart, won't you please? Take care of it, because that's all I have. And I'll let you... Um, take care and if you let me I'll take care of your heart too so that was also very nice not the part about the mangy little stray but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I thought both of those vows were were really beautiful and yeah made me angry at Xander (laughs) yeah yeah Um, we never got to hear any version uh, or even any bit of his vows did we no, not that I took notes of. Yeah, I don't remember that. Um, well, I mean, this podcast, uh, this podcast series, famously started out being very Sanders, much more problematic than I ever remembered him being. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So I guess it's appropriate that we end this episode. I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of calling for us to be kind to Xander at this particular moment, but the fact mm-hmm. that uh, I've somehow convinced you, all right, yeah, you're right. I hate Xander. I guess that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never, Xander is not one of my favorite characters. And I agree with you that in the early seasons, he's incredibly problematic and he will be problematic again. So don't worry. Okay, good. Um, it's momentary lapse of Xander hate, but um. I I do think like I said in this episode I I get it and I probably get it better now that um I have been through the whole process of having a wedding um than I would have been before that cuz I do understand the pressures to just kind of you know go with it I almost <laughs> I, I I almost wish that we didn't even have the wedding episode because that um that ending in uh as you were when or whenever it happened in as you were when they come to the realization especially like xander's trying to say it to her and and uh anya really gets this relieved look on her face and says it's our marriage isn't our wedding or whatever mm-hmm. however she phrases it that was such a great moment that was yeah. such a uh like i felt that relief as well Right. And I think that might be part of the reason also why this episode doesn't necessarily work is because then to move into this um, episode, it becomes kind of whiplash um, in terms of where Xander is. And again, part of it's because of his family showing up and bringing back all of um, the kind of, you know, the trauma of growing up in an abusive household. But I get so... (laughs) I've become less and less forgiving of the metaphor metaphorical aspect of the show. And maybe it's because the metaphorical aspects of the show have gotten less and less metaphorical, but like in earlier seasons, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be having thoughts of his family was so cartoonishly evil that I found it hard to like, I I couldn't buy into how evil his family was because they were so like, caricatured mm-hmm. um, in earlier seasons that would feel appropriate and I, I at this point in the series it feels like right they're they're trying to be so realistic and, that, and yet they have his ridiculous over-the-top family anyways we've said enough <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, there's three episodes that we don't have to watch again <laughs> um, and I don't remember if you've signed up for Anything else this... I don't think you're down for anything else this season. Nope. I don't think I'm up to uh, anything else except for maybe starting an angel. Oh, wow. Okay. But if you need me, I'm literally not doing anything. Well, <laughs> that's not true. You're trying to get a PhD, so... That's true. You're but doing... right now, I'm, I'm homebound, so... Uh, okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely reach out to you if we have any openings and uh i especially if there's any is there an episode where riley is even mentioned again i need to get you i hope we just stop (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you for for joining me um thank you for having me it was a pleasure to talk about three uh, mediocre (laughs) episodes yeah sort of eh, episodes Mm -hmm. um uh, do you want the people at home to follow you to to track you online? I mean, I am on Twitter. Um, I mostly tweet about my cats. That's perfect. So it's just Jessica Houch. 
at just at Jessica, whatever the, the Twitter thing is. Just my name. Okay. At Excellent. my name. <laughs> I mean, cat, cats are really the only good thing that's come out of Twitter. Um, arguably, that cats are one of the best things that has come out of human evolution. <laughs> This is true. We've we've evolved to the state we're at just so that cats could uh, could dominate us. Yes. I really yeah. I really wish they'd take over. We need some leadership right now. We do. Frankly, what do you say? She's she's not she's not interested. She'd rather nap. <laughs> I guess they're better at uh, delegating, really, than right than leading um all right well thank you again and thank you all at home for listening uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com um, or you can subscribe to the show on itunes and while you're there please rate us or write us a review uh, that that really helps people find the show if you have questions for me or any of my guests or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed please join the conversation you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com Follow us on Twitter at Cons with Dead or reach out to us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Cons with Dead. Uh, next time I'm joined by Elizabeth Rambo back again to discuss episodes 617 Normal Again and 618 Entropy. Um, I have zero memory at all of Entropy, but Normal Again is burned into my brain as it is to so many others. So uh, I recommend you make sure you're current on your medication before you tune in. So, uh, until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. I